you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast, the hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. And now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Wait, is that me? Oh, I thought I was the announcer guy this week. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you. Welcome, welcome, my friends, and all to the Chris Voss Show family podcast. It's actually the Chris Voss Show podcast, but remember, we think of it as a family where, you know, we love you, but we don't judge you. So we're the best kind of family there is. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We certainly appreciate it. You know the drill. Refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. Get them to go to YouTube.com. Force us. Chris Voss. Nice. Uh, just ask them nicely. Uh, use the word please, if you would. And uh, tell them to subscribe. Go to goodreads.com. Force us. Chris Voss, where you can see my book and all the other books we read and review over there. Also go to all of our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those crazy places those kids play on the interwebs go to our linkedin newsletter it's always fun to see that thing is growing like a monster and our big 131,000 group on linkedin today we have an amazing author on the show and of course i don't know why we just every day we have two to one of two amazing authors on the show which is pretty amazing if I can use the word amazing any more times this morning, I'm going to get banned. Anyway, guys, we on the show with us, Tom Clavin is on the show with us. He's the author of a new book, Blood and Treasure, Daniel Boone and the Fight for America's First Frontier. And uh, you can order that baby up and all the other books. Go see all of Tom's other books out there on the marketplace there. Well, yeah, Bob Dury and I have done the, the Blood and Treasure, which just came out in paperback. Oh, okay. That uh, that's that's the seventh book that Bob Drury and I have done together, and ah. in between, Phil Keith has been a, was a good friend of mine for years, and uh, he and I did a book in 2019 called "All Blood Runs Red" about the African American aviator fighter pilot Eugene Bullard, and the book was very well received, and it was just supposed to be a one-off mm. for Phil and I. That was, but you know, we we we, we had we. Got a hold of the story, worked on it together. It wasn't like I didn't have other things to do, but it was so well received that the publisher said, you know, could you guys do one more? So it was a little delicate because I had my own solo books. I was actively you know, involved with Bob Drury projects very happily. But uh, we had the story we really wanted to tell. And Phil, having been a re- was a retired Navy captain, the idea of doing a story that was about two Navy ships, a Confederate Navy ship and a Union Navy ship, meeting in a, in a, in a battle in, in the Atlantic was mm-hmm. irresistible. So that's how we sort of squeezed in one more before, you know, I had to go back and, and my other responsibilities. So it's, it can get a little confusing because, you know, I'm, I'm usually associated with Bob Drury, but at the same time, it's my second book with Phil Keith. And, and both collaborations have been very happy ones. I mean, the, the, the unhappy part about the one with Phil Keith is that we had, we had turned in the, the manuscript, the final manuscript, and, and a few weeks later, Phil passed away. So that was that was kind of a sad aspect of that collaboration. Oh, wow. We were, Bob Drury and I really liked the way the book turned out. It turned out, it was a different book from when we first started the book. And, and we thought that it might find an audience, it might find a good audience, but we were Nobody was more surprised when we were after the book was on sale for only a week. Our editor called us up and said, "You guys made the New York Times list." Awesome. And you know that's that's uh, 
very pleasing when you look at it, and you certainly know this from all the authors who you interview, how many books get published every week, 52 weeks a year, that are vying for attention, that are vying for readers' dollars, consumer dollars, and mm-hmm. And 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 to have our book make that list, which is only go, you know, is, is was was totally amazing, and and it stuck around for a couple of weeks. Okay, we're, we're grateful for everything, and then it, it continued. People continue to find it during the year, and then March fifteen, they put out the trade paperback edition, as you mentioned, and and after only five days on sale yesterday, it made its debut on the paperback New York Times nonfiction list at, at number fifteen, and next Sunday it'll be number eleven. Wow. So we continue to be stunned that this story that mostly takes place, place in the 1700s is finding a really pretty sizable uh, contemporary audience. That's pretty awesome. It says here, too, the author's finest work to date from the Wall Street Journal. So there you go. Uh, rave reviews. It has gotten great reviews. And, and we're particularly grateful for the Wall Street Journal review, which was done by a fellow named Peter Cousins. And if you haven't had Peter on your show, he's he's a wonderful writer and researcher, and uh, he's a specialist. I shouldn't say specialist. He's just especially knowledgeable about American Indian affairs and events and history. And uh, he did a book a few years ago called The Earth is Weeping that got all kinds of awards. It's an absolutely terrific book. And and so to have somebody of his caliber write not only in a venue as well-known as the Wall Street Journal, but to say it's his finest work yet – we were so pleased and grateful. Of course, we did realize that there's only downhill to go from here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. We were talking about the pre-show, and you have a, an extraordinary books. You want to uh, tell me, everybody, uh, or the, roughly the amount you're, you're up to? Well, I, I claim the number 18. And not only do I like the number 18, it's a lucky number. I'm not, I'm not vouching for its accuracy. But I think 18 is a good number because it's quite a few books – that people might say, oh, okay, he's done, he's done some good books and, but it's not too many books, I don't think that, cause, cause you get to the certain point where people think, well, it, it, they, they will refer to you as prolific. And a lot of times people don't mean that in a negative way, but sometimes it can be construed as prolific means, well, he, he works steadily. He comes out with books regularly. They can't be very good if there's not long, you know, intervals between books where, where I was supposed to agonize and oh. have writer's block and suffer for my art. Thankfully, I, I don't suffer. I enjoy what I do. It's the only thing I know how to do, so I just keep doing it. Art art sometimes makes for the best suffrage or yeah. vice versa. <laughs> the best like suffrage that. makes for the best art. Ask any musician, I suppose, or artist. The uh, so th- I mean, th- this is why I'm I, I'm quoting two different books. You've got you do, you know paperback coming out, and you've got the new hardcover coming out, and stuff. We have a lot of we actually have a lot of authors that return about every six months. They they're pretty prolific <laughs> using your work, and they put out great books. And uh, I mean, we've had some authors on three or four times now, and and they just schedule every six months to nine months <laughs> yeah and well, you know yeah, hey, some, back authors, some authors are just like that you know they, yeah. they work steadily and mm-hmm. but i also wonder a little bit of this for personal experience but you know we, we, you had two years of a pandemic where obviously that disrupted the lives and occupations of a lot of people and it was certainly not for the for, for the better but when it comes to authors i certainly see see i'm already socially distant <laughs> and I work alone in my, mm-hmm. in my home office. Mm-hmm. I don't go out much, <laughs> and so and so the pandemic was all gave me cover. Oh yeah, you know, for that two years of the pandemic, I was actually might might have been viewed by some generous people as a normal person. Uh-huh. But now the pandemic is ending, and people are going out again and being social again. My my cover has been blown, and 
<laughs> I'm back to being the, the, the outlier. Well, I mean, you, you, hey, when you do what you do, you do what you do best. And I don't know, the, the longer I live, the more I like my, and the more I get to know people and the longer I live, the more I like dogs. Yeah. So, you know, it's, there's kind of a weird world going on out there still. That COVID's still running around. And then, yes. you know, World War Three and a few other things. So, you know, and if you've seen some of the people in this country, uh, I don't know. I, I don't Some of these, some, there's some weird people. <laughs> I saw some interviews at a rally the other day and it was quite extraordinary. The interviews that were going on. I'm like, are these people for real? Like, did they make this up as something as they go? I'm like, well, I'll, what are they on? Because I don't know. Maybe I should be on what they're on. Anyway, I don't know what any of that means. But well, let's get to this book. So the title. Let's start with the title: "Blood and Treasure." And this is is a historical thing about Daniel Boone. What 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 made you you uh, land on that title? Well, I was especially glad for the way you asked that question, and here's the reason why. We, Bob Drury and I had done a several years ago called "The Heart of Everything That Is," where the central character was the. Sioux Indian leader, Red Cloud. It took place mostly in the 1850s to 1870s. It was about what was called Red Cloud's War, the only war that a Native American leader won against the U.S. government. And I know some people are going to say, well, what about Sitting Bull and, and, and Little Bighorn? Well, that was a battle. I'm talking about an entire war where oh, wow. the U.S. government sued for peace. And it was mostly the 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 last 20 years of the of the Indian tribes on the plains freedom that they had before they were basically forced onto reservations. You know, by 1870, they all had to be on reservations or faced, faced arrest or worse. Mm-hmm. So to our surprise, the book was very successful. And then we had some other books in between, but I always wanted to come back to the, the story and say, okay, here's, that was sort of like the end of the Indian wars. I'd like to go back earlier in time. How did it get started? What, how did we first you know, like crawl across the mountains and enter what became known as the West, mm-hmm. and what became the frontier for us. I mean, the, we had the 13 colonies, but we had the frontier on the other side of the Adirondacks and the Allegheny Mountains. How did that happen? And, uh, and especially from the point of view of the, the, the many of the Indian tribes who are encountering you know, European people for the very first time. And so we started to work on that story, we want, mm-hmm. and our, our our main character initially was going to be the the Shawnee Indian leader Tecumseh, and then we talked about Peter Cousins before. We found out Peter Cousins was working on a book about Tecumseh and his brother. We said, okay, well, we can't do that, you know, because he's got it. He's he, he has staked out that territory. We can't compete with him. <laughs> and so we were casting about for another another character, and you know, we started thinking about Daniel Boone. And we thought, well, wait a minute. Will Daniel Boone work? Because everybody knows who Daniel Boone is. So we sort of asked a couple of questions of people we knew. What do you know about Daniel Boone? Oh, yeah, he died at the Alamo. Or what about Daniel Boone? Oh, he wore coonskin caps. Or his best friend was Mingo, this Indian that was played by Ed Ames of the Ames the singing group. You know, all this kind of stuff. D- Daniel Boone is a character, a, a, an American figure who is instant name recognition. And most people really don't know who. Daniel Boone really was and how important he was to American history. So that's why Daniel Boone was sort of like a late addition to the story. You know, mm. we were already researching the events that transpired on the American frontier in the 1760s and 1770s and 1780s. But then when we found Daniel Boone. He was, he was everywhere in the story. He was, he was, he grew up on the, on the Western frontier. He knew Indians when he was growing up, he learned from them. He admired them. He respected them. He traveled, he hunted with them. 
He was also part of the French and Indian War. He was played a pivotal role in the American Revolution. There's all these aspects of and the, the exciting action figure that he was, and he never wore a coonskin cap. And no, he did not die at the Alamo. That was Davy Crockett. <laughs> so we started to find in Daniel Boone this wonderful character that you think you know and you don't. Mm-hmm. It's interesting the power of uh, Disney to be able to exactly lay down a character. Yeah, it was, it's, it was... it's all Fess Parker's fault. It's all Fess Parker's fault because. <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, he did this. He did the Disney movie back in the fifties. Some people of a certain age may have, may have recall seeing it. That was a Davy Crockett movie that mm-hmm. was quite successful. And then they did a Disney produced tele- weekly television show, Daniel Boone, in which Fess Parker also played Daniel Boone. So that's why, oh. especially those of a certain age, there's a lot of mixing up between the two. They're, they're all the same person, you know, Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone. Yeah. That that explains a lot because I grew up seeing those movies and I was like, mm-hmm. I want to be like Daniel Boone. I grew up, I want to Kunskin. Yeah. And then I remember watching the Alamo. And then, of course, we've had some authors who've done the historical research of the Alamo, and that's a whole that's a whole other thing now. In fact, I think it's one of my most hated videos on on it. Really riled up the Texans to find out that uh, <laughs> the story of that whole thing is different. So let's talk more about what what what. what what picture, what story is told in here? What can we tease out about the book that will entice readers to pick it up? Well, you know, the if I was going to pick, Daniel Boone has had very little representation other than the Fest Parker Disney stuff early, many, 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 many years ago. Mm-hmm. Has had very little representation on screen. I mean, there's been no Daniel Boone limited series. The, the closest, really, that Daniel the portrayal of Daniel Boone on screen would have been by Daniel Day-Lewis in the film Last of the Mohicans. Oh, yeah. Which came out about 20, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And and because that was really, that was Daniel Boone. It wasn't called Daniel Boone in, in the movie. But there's one adventure in, in the Daniel Boone story that's in our book, which is one of his most remarkable adventures. In 1776, his daughter and two of her friends, they were all about 14, 15 years old, are kidnapped by Indians. And usually when you're kidnapped, when you have white children kidnapped by Indians, they're not they're not found again. I'm not saying necessarily that they're killed, but they're adopted into the, the tribes at that time and, and going into the 1800s. They had a really severe population problem. Partly it was because of warring with each other, and part of it was because they had no immunity to diseases they picked up from the white man, especially smallpox. Oh, wow. So they would, they would adopt kid, you know, kidnapped adolescents and teenagers into their tribe so that they could replenish the numbers of them. And, and, and you know, Daniel Boone's daughter would have ended up bearing as many children as possible. But Boone set off and took him days, but he tracked these Indians down and his daughter would tear off little pieces of her dress and leave them stuck to bushes and stuff as they, as she was being hauled along. And her father was following this trail she was leaving. And eventually he found them and rescued his daughter and these two other girls and that became a story that years later James Fenimore Cooper used in The Last of the Mohicans. Oh, wow. So that that's what just one of the exciting stories in the book. I don't want people to think blood and treasure. Okay, it's kind of a, a historical thing in which we're just talking about a lot of statistics about Indian tribes and, and, and expeditions and stuff. There's a lot of action in the book. And I think people would be very pleasantly surprised if they like action to find out what an action figure Daniel Boone was. He was everywhere on the frontier, it seemed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. So, I mean, did you get a chance to interview him? No, sorry, I'm just I'm the comedian around here. So I just before we started working on the book, if we had been five years earlier, <laughs> or, or maybe two centuries, either way. 
Was was a lot of this stuff uh, well documented? Was it easy to find, or did you have to do a lot of digging? I imagine that takes take some work. You know, it was one of the things that was a, a great surprise to us. I mean, so things surprising about this book, but one is this: Daniel Boone, thankfully, while he was still alive, and he had a long life. I mean, he he was in his eighty sixth year when he died. Mm-hmm. At a time when the average lifespan of an American male was probably 45, maybe wow. 50 stops, and he lived to be almost 86. And towards the end of his life, he was kind of a living legend. And there were a couple of people who came to interview him. And he liked to tell some stories in his old age, surrounded by his grandchildren. But there was not long after he died, a man came along named Lyman Draper. And Lyman Draper decided he was going to dedicate himself to writing this massive, authoritative, definitive biography of Daniel Boone. Mm-hmm. And so he spent years and probably put about 50,000 miles on horseback traveling all over the country, all over Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, places like that. Anybody who was still alive that knew Daniel Boone, including a couple of his surviving children, he interviewed them, collected thousands of pages of documents. And then he sat down to write his biography. And he got about a third of the way through it and developed writer's block. (laughs) Poor man. Poor man. I know we can laugh now because he's long dead. But the poor man. He had a coming or something. Wow. Okay. He had. He. I think what probably happened is he accumulated so much information, and it yeah. was so daunting. He. It was this mountain that, that he just couldn't climb. So unfortunately for Lyman Draper, he did not get to write his magnum opus of Daniel Boone. Fortunately for the rest, he became, of all things, the executive director of the Wisconsin Historical Society, to which he donated all his papers, thousands and thousands of documents about Daniel Boone. So. What surprisingly, the biggest repository of information about Daniel Boone is not in Kentucky, not in Tennessee, not on the East Coast at all, but it is in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, wow. And it is, it is again, thousands of pages of documents of people who knew Boone, interviews with his children, surviving children. And so to be able to tap into that was, was very, very fortunate for us. I mean, of course, it's, it's available to anybody who wants to do it, but I think there's been not that many people have come along in the recent decades who wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. The, so, so what are some other things that we're missing here? Uh, you guys talk about what were, what were some stories that maybe stuck out that you think people are going to like hearing about? I think that, I think one of the remarkable things about Daniel Boone is his relationship with, with native Americans. You know, he, he came of age at a time when it was routine for people to refer to them pretty commonly as savages. And they were, you know, there were a lot of people at the time who didn't, even somebody as so enlightened, so to speak, as Thomas Jefferson, believed the only solution to the Indian problem was to exterminate them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Boone respected and admired Indians. He, he, he formed lifelong friendships with them. When he was out, he, his, his favorite place to be was out in the wilderness where he lived and dressed like an Indian on these long hunts that he went on. Mm-hmm. He, 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 would, he was quoted as saying that sometimes I'm not sure where I am, but I've never been lost. He, <laughs> that's that. his, his comfortable element was being out in, in this vast forest land. When he went through the Cumberland Gap, you know, he was like, <laughs> there was no one else around. He went through the Cumberland Gap and founded Kentucky, basically. As far as the, the white man version of founding Kentucky, there were plenty of people already living there. They just mm-hmm. weren't white people. Um, so I think his long hunts, his, his, his uh, also his, his family relationships we found fascinating. His wife, he and his wife Rebecca were married for 56 years. Mm-hmm. And there's a great story that also involves his daughter Jemima, which is also a characteristic of what the kind of man Daniel Boone was. 
he would go on these long hunts. And like I said, it would last for six months, eight months, a year, sometimes a year and a half. And on one of these long hunts, he was gone for, for something like 16, 15, 16 months. And word had filtered back to where his wife and his younger children were living, which I think was in, in Western North Carolina, that he had died. Mm-hmm. And so when he finally didn't make his way back and showed up at the in the, in the town where his wife was living, the frontier <laughs> town, you know, he walks into his cabin and there's his wife with a baby. Oh. And so he, he, you know, the baby's like a couple of months old. He does the math. He's been away for about 16 months. He wasn't a well-educated man, but he could do basic arithmetic. And uh, he's, he's like, hi, hon, what's up? <laughs> and she, she's astonished that he's alive. I thought you were dead. And so, well, what happened? And so he said, well, she said, well, you know, I thought you were dead. And I got, to, you know, I, I, I turned to comfort for your brother, Ned. Oh, uh, his younger brother, Ned, who looked very much like Daniel. They were almost twins. They were only separated mm-hmm. by a couple of years. And Ned was, you know, was going to take care of me and, and your children because it was to be a, a widow on a family with children would be a tough place. And so, so this is, the, you know, Ned's baby. <laughs> so, Way to go, Ned. But Boone, uh. pond, Boone, pondered, Boone pondered this for a bit. And then he said, the was, well, at least you kept it in the family. And uh, wow. he and Rebecca immediately got back together. They they loved each other dearly, and uh, they had more children after that. And interestingly, Jemima became very close. Daniel Boone raised her as his daughter, and wow. and Jemima again. She's the one he rescued from the Indians. And mm-hmm. at the very end of his life, it was with Jemima and her husband and children that Daniel Boone lived. Wow, that's a hell of a story. Yeah, pretty you know that happened to me and my wife. But I had just gone to the store for a couple hours. I came home and there was a guy here. So um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Say. Life on the frontier. <laughs> just joking. That's what she said. It's yeah. Life on the frontier. I, I thought you were dead. She said you've been gone. I thought you were gone. dead. I was, like, I, was, I was at Walmart. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. So there you go. Well, this sounds like a very interesting book, exciting book, and people are just excited to read it. So very good. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs and get to know uh, you better in this end. Well, I'm really well hidden. It's TomClavin.com. That's a very complicated, T-O-M-C-L-A-V-I-N.com. And, you know, again, I want to mention to people that it's 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 really an adventure story. There, there is a lot of research that went into it. and And because we wanted to get the story right, you know, I, I think we'd be doing a great disservice to Daniel Boone. Some of the other amazing characters in there, like the frontiersmen, like Simon Kenton and Daniel Morgan, who became a Revolutionary War hero. Some of the Indian leaders, the Cornstalk. There's even a, a story in the book, which is, again, true, that at one point, Daniel Boone himself was kidnapped by the Shawnee. And oh, he's ado- wow. he was adopted into the tribe. His father became Blackfish, was the name of his father. Mm-hmm. And he lived as Blackfish's son for, for, oh. for quite a while as, as an adopted Shawnee uh, tribesman. And when he eventually came back, the only reason why he, he left, I shouldn't say the only reason, but an important reason why he left is because he found out that the Shawnee were about to attack this fort. Yeah. So he escaped. And he sp- it took him like a couple of two, three weeks of running through the woods, you know, z- zillions of miles through the woods to get to the fort just in time to warn them that they were about to be attacked by this overwhelming Shawnee force. So it's really kind of an adventure story, and Daniel Boone's an action figure. But at the same time, you could be have the comfort of knowing that a lot of research went into it. And it's not just, oh, we didn't know how this, how this happened. We just made something up. Everything is based on factual information. 
That's pretty amazing. Did 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 he ever leave the house after after the wife thing? Because I I'd be afraid to leave the house. Like you you're gone for another I don't know a month or something, and all of a sudden you come back and she's like, I married your other brother. <laughs> he did have several brothers, so there was yeah, there, was, there, was, there was that that possibility that happened. But you know he had to. I mean. He, it wasn't like he said, you know, honey, I'm not going to go out in the woods anymore. I'm going to get a job. It was called making a living. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I know I know some husbands who do leave and fake their death for obvious reasons. But, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like that. It sounds starting to sound like that. What was that Disney movie, Seven Brothers and Seven? It was. Anyway, we do the jokes around here. Anyway, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, Tom. Oh, it's really, really insightful. It's been wonderful to have you. And we'd love to talk about all your books as you pump them out. So please come back for more. The To to my audience, thanks for tuning in. Go order the book up. You can get it now just out on paperback. Blood and Treasure. Daniel Boone and the Fight for America's first frontier and uh, you can order that baby up and all the other books go see all of tom's other books out there on the marketplace there thanks for tuning in go to goodreads.com for says chris voss uh, go to all youtube.com for says chris voss all our groups on facebook linkedin twitter instagram and all those wonderful places thank you very much for tuning in and uh, be sure to be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time <clears throat>